Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, it's a very special episode, episode 34. For the love of the game, let's get it cracking. All right, all right, all right. Okay, then welcome back. Episode 34 for the love of the game. And this is one of my favorite episodes to do, as you'll hear in a little bit. Jam-packed episode. So I had to bring the heat with the intro song. Uh, Joey Crack, the Don Lean Back featuring Mace, Eminem, Lil John. Absolute heater. Uh, only appropriate for uh, the latest episode. All right, so a lot's happened since the last uh, episode, episode 33, and as I'm sure you can guess, well, I have some thoughts, uh, some opinions that I'd like to share uh, that I'm sure you're all waiting to hear. So uh, without further ado, RIP to the New York Yankees 2018 season. They fell to the Red Sox uh, three games to one. Yeah, they beat up David Price because they always do. But other than that, they were pretty lifeless. I mean, game three in the Bronx, the 16 to one spanking was an utter embarrassment. Just an absolute travesty uh, where everyone from Aaron Boone to all the players were just terrible in that game. And game four, there was more lifeless offense. Um, until they decided to show a little bit of fight and claw their way back into the ninth inning uh, when Boston closer Craig Kimbrell forgot how to throw strikes, basically. Oh, and shout out to Giancarlo Stanton for the ninth inning um, when the pitcher can't even find the plate, just swinging at three pitches that weren't even remotely close to the plate. Shout out to him and... um, in the series he had, uh, especially in that spot where everybody in that inning uh, seemed to be somewhat disciplined and was uh, drawing walks. He just had absolutely no clue what was going on. Uh, just fantastic stuff from him in the series. Uh, this Yankees team needs a shakeup. Uh, they need some contact hitters that hit for average and get on base. Uh, they need some speed guys who do the little things on the bases, uh, like going first to third or maybe stealing a base. You know, uh Things that aren't necessarily conventional with today's analytics. I know I sound like old men yelling at clouds over here, but they can't just stand up there and expect everybody to just hit home run after home run. That's not how you win in playoff baseball. I I, I understand the analytics say that you can win like that maybe during the regular season, but for playoff baseball, that stuff doesn't fly. 
I mean, the Red Sox outclassed them in every single aspect. I mean, they had good at-bats. They didn't strike out. They they prided themselves on making contact. They were active on the bases. All the things that the Yankees were not. Um, so, yes, the Yankees do need a shakeup in their everyday lineup. And I know they need another starter as well. Uh, so the offseason starts now for the Yankees. Uh, let's see what Brian Cashman uh, does and how they shake things up because that's the only way they're going to be real World Series contenders. Uh, they need some changes because, as I said before, the Red Sox really outclassed them. Uh, and congrats to my uh, friend and recurring guest Phil Bausk, who was on the show uh, last episode, who predicted uh, 3-1 for the Red Sox, uh, Phil, I uh, wish you the worst of luck going forward in the ALCS. On to another dumpster fire, the New York Giants. Wow, uh, unbelievable uh, how terrible they've been. In the last two weeks, the Giants played uh, a really solid offensive game. I mean, mostly coming on late and overcoming a slow start. Uh, to then lose on a game-ending 63-yard field goal, which they've now done in the last two years, losing on field goals at the end of the game for 63 yards. Only the New York Giants, a team that in my lifetime has gone to three Super Bowls and won two of them. So I'm a pretty spoiled football fan. But I can't remember any other team losing the way this New York Giants team loses when, in fact, they lose. It's it's really astounding. And then to top it all off, um, after that brutal loss, uh, this past Thursday night, they got their dicks absolutely kicked in at home by the Eagles in absolute embarrassment. I mean, Eli Manning, after showing signs of life in week five against Carolina, was just brutally terrible against Philly. Yes, the offensive line is bad, but actually, if you look at it, the left side of the line has actually looked pretty better of late. I mean, the right side is still an absolute dumpster fire, but man, Eli Manning is just terrible, flat out terrible. He's the worst starting quarterback in the league at this point. I don't even think it's close. It's over for him. Uh, and it's sad. It never ends well when franchise legends, you know, get old and the end is near. It never ends well, but it's over. Um, and right now, uh, it's really depressing. And, um, Luckily, they'll be bad enough this year where hopefully they'll be able to get their replacement this offseason. Now, the defense wasn't good Thursday night, but, you know, and the defense has been hit or miss. Janoris Jenkins has been really hit or miss this season. He's had moments where he's been great. He's had moments where he's been flat out terrible. But it would be really nice if the offense could give them a blow once in a while without going three and out every single damn series and put up points where you don't feel like the defense has to carry the entire night. I mean, that... I think the defense would play a little bit better if the offense played a little bit better. And that goes to the offensive line. And ultimately, it's the quarterback. And it's just it's just a sad state of the affairs for the New York Giants. And um, as for Odell Beckham Jr., uh, the other supreme talent on this team besides Saquon Barkley. And by the way, I stand by the Saquon Barkley pick. He is the best offensive player that's not a quarterback in the National Football League right now. This minute right now, if you put him with a competent quarterback and a competent offensive line, his numbers would be 50% better and they're already awesome. And I understand that, you know, you don't take a running back that high, but he is a generational talent. Like he has the ability to finish 
top five or six running backs in the history of this league. That's the kind of talent he is. And I get all the Sam Darnold fanboys like, I know you had two good weeks, like relax a little bit. If I thought Sam Darnold was going to be a slam dunk for the Hall of Fame, sure, I would lament the fact that the Giants didn't take Sam Darnold over Saquon Barkley. But I don't think Sam Donald's a lock for the Hall of Fame. Let, let's, let's, you know, pause, pump the brakes a little bit before we get Sam Donald's bust ready for, for Canton, Ohio. Uh, so I am completely okay with the Barkley pick. Um, we're just going to have to get a quarterback soon. And if that means being bad enough to take one early, if the, um, the GM decides that, you know, quarterbacks in this draft are worth taking early, then do so. If that means waiting another year and then having to trade up, depending on what their record is, then that's what you're going to have to do. But I mean, Eli Manning cannot go into next season playing quarterback for the New York Giants. That is not an option. I don't care who it is at that point, whether it's a bridge gap for a future guy or if it's drafting a guy in the first round, it needs to be somebody else. But anyway, uh, back to Odell Beckham Jr. Because I know I uh, I got off tangent a little bit. Um, the other supreme talent on this team, uh, I will say this. Uh, do I like his antics? Uh, no, it, it's not my cup of tea. I'd rather you uh, show a little bit of uh, control and leadership if you're going to be paid that amount of money. Uh, do I like him going to the media and doing that kind of interview? No, but understand this. Like, he's not the problem. I mean, he still goes out regardless of all the antics, and he plays hard. He plays hard every single snap. No one's ever accused him of taking a snap off, of loafing on a route, of missing a block. No one's ever done that to him because uh, he plays hard every single game. And guess what? He's open and he produces. He's the one guy who's producing on this offense besides for Saquon when he gets the opportunities. Yeah, he had a drop on fourth down in Carolina, but that's what happens to wide receivers. They have drops. But he is not the problem. And for the media to vilify him like he's the problem it is just wrong. The problem is clear cut. Our quarterback is old and he's over the hill. And we need somebody new who can infuse life into an offense. Does Odell help himself? No, he really doesn't. Would I like him to be a little bit, have more self-control? Sure. But again, realize what the problem is. He's part of the solution, not the problem. So just to give a quick rundown of the current state of affairs of New York sports, well, it, it's bleaker than it's been in a long time. Uh, here's a quick snapshot of where we uh, stand as New York sports fans. The Giants are a dumpster fire, uh, as I just mentioned before. They are one in five, quarterbacks toast, defenses and all that great, just, just a train wreck right now. The Jets, Sam Darnold's had his moments. The last two uh, weeks have been good, but then again, they are the New York Jets, historically terrible, and they haven't won anything since 1969. The New York Mets, probably the biggest dumpster fire out of all the teams. They uh, are still owned by the Wilpons, and they operate like a small market team in the world's biggest media market. Uh, they're chronically terrible. The Yankees just got outclassed by their bitter rival Red Sox. Not great. Uh, the Rangers, after a decade of relevance and competitive play, are now in rebuild mode. Uh, not a good start for them for this season. Not great for the Rangers. The Islanders, who right now are a team without a permanent home, uh, nobody cares about them in Brooklyn. 
Um, they won't have, uh, you know, they won't be pretty relevant. I should say they won't be relevant at all until they're back on Long Island full time. Oh, and uh, their best player that they've drafted in the last uh, 10 years uh, left in the offseason to go play for the Maple Leafs and John Tavares. Not great for the Islanders. The Knicks have been a disaster for years. Kristaps uh, Porzingis is still re- rehabbing his ACL. Now it seems like the front office has a clue in terms of what to do. But then again, they haven't won anything since 1973. And James Dolan is still one of the worst owners in sports. Things are looking up for the Knicks. Uh, and then Brooklyn Nets, well, no one gives a shit about the Brooklyn Nets. Just no one could care less. And that's a snapshot of the the current state of affairs for New York sports. Uh, Not good. Not good. It hasn't been this bleak in a long, long time. And uh, it looks like this year is going to continue to be incredibly, incredibly bleak. Some quick notes on the NFL as a whole right now. Um, The Rams continue to win, even though they failed to cover the spread. Uh, A nice backdoor cover for the Broncos, which really hurt my feelings uh, this past uh, Sunday. Uh, They are the most complete team in the NFL. I don't really think that's much of a debate. Uh, They can win when it's cold. They can win when it's warm. It it, it really doesn't seem to matter. They have the best roster in the NFL. Uh, Good defenses haven't been very consistent this year. I mean, look at the Chicago Bears and the Jacksonville Jaguars, what's gone on with them last week and for the Jaguars the last two weeks. The NFC East is absolute hot garbage. Uh, And lastly, the Chiefs-Patriots was exceedingly exciting Sunday night. And if that's the preview for the AFC championship where it looks like that's what's going to be the case, uh, we're in for a good AFC championship game because that was a shootout and that was awesome. However, none of this really matters right now. All of my um, me sounding down about the New York sports scene, all this sadness gets washed away. And why, you ask? Because Tuesday night starts the most wonderful time of the year that's not beach season. Wait for it, people. Let the anticipation build up a little bit. I understand it's simmering. NBA season is back tomorrow night to quote the pointed sisters. That's right, people. NBA season is back in a big way. Uh, so much to go over and so much to cover. Great storylines everywhere. Um, and that's why this show is my favorite show to do of the year. Plenty of NBA coverage from me throughout this season. Um, the greatest league in all the land and my bread and butter. So let's dive right into all the things going on in the NBA. So the big story in the league right now uh, on the eve of the season where the Celtics and the Sixers are going to tip off tomorrow night to start the year is the Jimmy Butler saga with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, I touched on it a few episodes ago that there was drama with him and his younger cornerstones of the franchise, Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Uh, Jimmy Butler, who uh, was the 30th pick in the NBA draft, busted his tail his whole career to become a four-time All-Star, an All-NBA player, and a top 15 player in the league. Well, he thinks the other two guys who are both number one picks are incredibly soft and don't play play hard enough and is incredibly frustrated by them. There may or may not have been female drama between Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler too. Uh, who knows that for sure. But 
what we do know is Butler hasn't been thrilled with their effort level and their commitment to playing defense. And so Butler has been asking out of Minnesota all summer. And it looked like the Miami Heat and Pat Riley were poised to make a deal with the Wolves. And by all account, the Wolves uh, president of basketball operations and coach uh, Tom Thibodeau has been exceedingly difficult to deal with uh, to the point that Pat Riley called him an asshole and hung up the phone on him. It's important to know that Wolves owner, Glenn Taylor, who has not been historically a good owner uh, in any stretch, uh, wants to trade Butler in the worst way, but on the eve of the season starting, there still is no trade. So then Jimmy Butler returns to the team for the first time last week uh, and attends a practice, his first time uh, being with the team since the season ended. And then he takes a couple of third stringers on the roster, scrimmages against the starters, and kicks their asses in the scrimmage, emasculating Towns and Wiggins in the process and yelling at ownership that they need him to win. Uh, he used a couple of other choice words that I'm sure you saw on Twitter. Absolutely wild stuff. Then to top it all off, he does an interview with Rachel Nichols on ESPN about what just went down in this practice, how he can't change the way he's wired and that it's not about the money for him, but it's he's beefing with ownership over being appreciated properly for how RD plays, which in NBA talk uh, translates to I'm worth a max contract and you need to give me a max contract at the end of the year. So it is about the money in absolute shit show for the Timberwolves. A couple of takeaways from this uh, saga. Jimmy Butler's 100% right about Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins being soft. Towns, as talented as he is, and he shot 50-40-85 last year. For those who don't know, it's 50% from the field, 40% from three, 85% from the free throw line. He can score inside and out and rebounds like crazy, but he's so incredibly disappointing on the defensive end and seems to be the classic empty calorie stats guy, um, or his numbers don't necessarily translate to success. As for Andrew Wiggins, well, he's gotten worse every single year he's been in the league. Both of them are making max money to top it all off, and they can't win with Butler. I mean, look at their record when Jimmy was out last year with an injury, they were terrible. They were a 55-win team about if he had been healthy all year, and they squeaked to make the playoffs to be in the eighth seed, and they only got that eighth seed on the last day of the season. So uh, Jimmy Butler's right about all this in terms of, uh, you know, Towns and Wiggins, but Jimmy Butler may be, and this is my second point, Jimmy Butler may be a top 15 NBA player, but he's carrying himself like an all-time great, like somebody who's won in MVP, who's won titles, who's really accomplished a lot. Like Michael Jordan could pull off this move. Kobe Bryant could pull off this move. Jimmy Butler really can't pull off this move. He doesn't really have the cachet to be doing this. So Jimmy Butler overvalues himself and where he stands in NBA history and in the league. So I think Jimmy Butler needs to settle down a little bit. And the third point, I know Tom Thibodeau doesn't want to trade Jimmy Butler because if the T-Wolves, you know, are worse and they don't win because they trade him, well, he's getting fired be because they really haven't done a whole heck of a lot since he's been the uh, president of basketball operations and the coach. Um, but for the long-term future of the franchise, he needs to trade Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler cannot be in this locker room, especially if you're paying Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins the kind of money that they're being paid. Like, you can't have a guy come in and emasculate them like that. Like, that can't continue. Um, so 
they need to make a move. And I know Thibodeau doesn't have any uh, reason to do so because he's looking out for himself, but you know, the owner really has to supersede here. And then that gets into the issue of, are they going to get proper value? They got to figure something out. And again, lastly, for Jimmy Butler says it's not all about the money. Well, it is all about the money. Now I'm going to put it out there. I still think Butler ends up in Miami. Uh, even if he plays the uh, season opener for Minnesota, uh, which it looks like he's going to do against the Spurs, uh, should be fascinating. We'll see how it unfolds in the next couple of weeks. In other news around the league, so last week the Lakers and Warriors played a preseason game, and normally I am not one to watch preseason basketball. I have a rule that I do not care about the preseason. Preseason games are usually terribly played, um, but I was curious about this one, so I uh, I checked out the first half. LeBron was playing. Uh, the Golden State Stars are playing, uh, except for Draymond Green, um, and the game was, quite frankly, it was Awesome. LeBron was great. Durant, Curry, and Thompson were great. It was competitive. It was fantastic to watch. As you all know, I'm on record of not being a huge LeBron James fan, but I cannot wait to watch the Lakers this year. I don't know how all these weird pieces like Rajon Rondo, Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, Michael Beasley will fit with LeBron. Um, They don't have any really good three-point shooters. Lonzo Ball, who they drafted number two overall, who I'm actually still really high on. But he doesn't really seem to fit with Rajon Rondo because they do the same stuff and who's going to get the minutes. But it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. Brandon Ingram who's going into his third year, looks like he may make the leap and uh, become the the sidekick that LeBron needs. The Lakers could be a three seed. They can miss the playoffs. Um, Large range for the Lakers, um, but I'm going to be fascinated in watching it. I'm going to have a ton of fun watching it. And plus, I cannot get enough of Lance Stevenson and how he plays and all the antics on the court. From one end of the spectrum in terms of watching preseason basketball uh, to the other, Uh, Because I'm dedicated to doing my homework for this show, I recorded the Knicks-Nets last preseason game Friday night and watched it over the weekend in its entirety, Um, particularly because I love basketball, partially because, again, I have to do my homework for this, uh, for the season, and uh, partially because I'm a narcissist, and not a narcissist, I should say masochist, because I'm a masochist. Uh, Anyway, it was not like that Golden State Lakers game uh, that I just mentioned. It was brutal to watch, just brutal. Between the two teams, they maybe have six or seven legit NBA players in that game. Uh, As for the Knicks this year, uh, I do like what they did in the offseason, starting with the draft with Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson, uh, taking flyers on uh, failed lottery picks and top five picks like Mario Hazonia and see how it uh, works out with them because it didn't work in Orlando. And they just waved and stretched Joakim Noah's contract to make more cap room for next summer. These are all good things. But as for wins and losses for the Knicks this year, well, it will not be a good year for my beloved New York Knicks. And this year should not be about wins and losses. It should be about developing the young guys, especially Frank Nilakina, as I'll as I will explain a little bit later. Getting Kristaps Porzingis healthy and back to all NBA caliber form, uh, and getting another blue chip talent in the draft, and getting ready for a big summer of free agency in 2019. So yeah. 
A lot to get into about this upcoming season. Uh, you know, a couple of quick highlights before we get into tonight's interview. As I mentioned, LeBron and the Lakers. Uh, and hopefully I'll be having on a popular recurring guest to talk about them in more depth uh, later on. Uh, not this episode, but hopefully coming soon. Uh, a couple other questions uh, around the league. How will the Celtics and Gordon Hayward, uh, now that he's back mesh, uh, can they actually challenge Golden State? Uh, year two with Paul George and Russell Westbrook. How's that going to look in OKC? Does Houston um, stay at the form they were last year, or have they already missed uh, their best opportunity to win a title? Uh, ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. What does it look like for them this year? Um, for those young stars and will Markel Fultz be able to contribute anything, especially considering he was the number one pick, uh, last year. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, can he take the leap and win MVP this year? Can he average a triple double, uh, the return of Kawhi Leonard? What kind of form does he look like? Uh, and will he be helped? Uh, happy enough to stay in Toronto past this year, especially if Toronto has the kind of season they had last year and takes a little bit of a step up with him in the mix. Anthony Davis, uh, what does his present and future look like? Uh, Boogie Cousins with the Warriors when he gets back healthy. Can the Warriors repeat? There are so many storylines to get into, and I hope to touch on almost all of them with tonight's uh, special guests. So buckle up everybody for uh, an action-packed interview with tons of NBA talk in the next couple of moments. All right. Uh, so I'm happy to have on a uh, special guest tonight, a uh, first time guest, somebody I've waited for over a year to get back from London to chat NBA with him. Uh, my good friend, Ben Siegel, a uh, fellow hoops head and uh, Knicks fan enthusiast. Benjamin, how are we doing, man? I'm doing great, Aaron. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. been looking forward to this. So it's that time of year again. Uh, NBA season is uh, off and running starting tomorrow night. Um, before we go over the snapshot of the league as a whole, uh, wanted to at least just bang out uh, some Knicks thoughts uh, from a fellow Knicks fan um, and what to expect from the Knicks this year. Um, yeah, just uh, your thoughts overall, what you're expecting to see from the Knicks. What what do you want to see? Um, what do you like from them right now? There's a lot not to like, but, uh, just your thoughts. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, Aaron, I think you, you said it right. What's, what's there to like is the real question. I mean, look, the Knicks are clearly in a rebuilding stage. It seems like they're always in a rebuilding stage, but they're young. And at least it seems like we're starting, we're starting to rebuild in the right way. We're young. We're the, I think the fourth youngest team in the league. Knox is something to be excited about. He looks good. He's attacking the hoop. He looks like he could be a great offensive player. But in the end of the day, there, there's not a whole lot of talent on the roster. I mean, Tim Hardway's probably, at the moment at least, our best offensive player. Aaron, what's Tim Hardway? A fourth or fifth option on a decent team? And then we don't really have a point guard in a point guard league. Yeah, and, that's a problem. And then my issue is is Frank. I think everyone in New York is super high on him, but... I saw him play a bit in the preseason. Yeah, he put on some weight. He bulked up. He's looking like he's, you know, hit the gym, but he's not looking that great to me offensively. I saw Bradley Beal beat him up a little bit last week. So, I mean, I think until Porzingis gets back, it's going to be a pretty rough road. Yeah, I I don't expect a lot of wins until Porzingis comes back. I mean, and we'll see when he comes back. I hope they take extreme caution. But you mentioned um, you mentioned Frank uh, Nilakina. He's the key to the whole thing. Um, because if you look at the guys who are drafted after him, 
Um, obviously the big one is Donovan Mitchell, um, which, which really hurts. Um, not that I was super high on Donovan Mitchell. I didn't anticipate this. Um, but even a guy like Malik Monk, right? You look at him going into year two, he was somebody I really liked coming out of college. And, um, if Frank can't be more dynamic offensively, like it really sets the whole thing back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't understand, you know, the thought process, like Emmanuel Moutier has a track record of not being good in the NBA. Like, why are we trying to, why are we trying to force something that that's clearly not there? Like Trey Burke, yeah, he showed that he's a nice spark plug off the bench, but why are we even considering giving him starters minutes? We're looking to recruit, you know, a major free agent, uh, specifically, you know, with the eyes towards Kevin Durant next summer. We need to find out if, if you know, the young guys are are up to snuff. And Frank needs to have every opportunity to grow and learn. Uh, otherwise, it's just a waste, no? I completely agree. I mean, what's the point of giving Trey Burke and Emmanuel Moody eight minutes if they're not really going to be part of the team in the, in the future, Trey Burke, you know, he put together a good second half last year, but come on, who really believes in Trey Burke? He's been on a handful of teams already and has his ups and downs in the NBA. And then there's Moody. I mean, I think we all know why Denver gave up on him pretty, pretty early, even though he was a lottery pick. So yeah, let's give, let's give Frank all the opportunities, but I'm just saying I'm, not as high on him as most people in New York. I just don't see the offense coming together. They're going to need to address, you know, the lead ball handler situation. And I mean, the the best thing for the Knicks right now, I mean, besides for getting Porzingis back to an all NBA caliber player that he was before he got hurt is, you know, the, the point guard situation. But, you know, if they're not good this year, they have all their picks. So it's about getting another top level talent in the draft. Cause that's how you get good. And then all of a sudden, you know, with some cap moves that they can do, and we'll get into that in a second, you know, you can attract one, maybe even two guys, depending if they renounce some rights, who knows, but like, at least as you mentioned before, the front office looks like they have a plan, which is something that they haven't had in a while. So at least that's a breath of fresh air. Completely agree. That's our silver lining, right? That this may be the last year of the Knicks being a 20-something win team for a few years. And we, we said the formula, good draft pick, free agency, and healthy Porzingis. And if Knox comes around, you know, we could be looking at a playoff team in a year or two seasons from now. The other guy that, um, you know, besides for the guys they drafted, this guy Alonzo Trier, right, um, out of Arizona, undrafted. You know, he seems to be a guy who can get uh, buckets. I mean, I'm not sure if he's, he's starting on a two-way contract, but like, do you, do you think that he can be a little bit of a rotation player? You know, it's so hard to say when you see these guys playing the preseason and they're playing against lesser competition and they're not going up against real NBA starters, but look, I mean, he's just as good of a scorer as anyone else. It looks like we have on this team. So again, let's give him a chance. Maybe he ends up being a good sixth, seventh man and, you know, can come in at, when, when some of the starters are on the bench and, you know, give us some good minutes, but l- let's see, I, again, you know, it's kind of early to think that this guy's going to be a great scorer from a few preseason games, but let's give him a chance. We have nothing to lose. Right. Of course. Um, you know, and it goes to just saying that if, you know, they hit on the, this draft, you know, cause I think Mitchell Robinson, 
uh, the center is is really somebody to get ex- excited about. Um, really, because I don't think they've had an athlete like that from the center position in a long time. If they can hit on these young guys, then all of a sudden we become an attractive destination um, for free agents. And uh, and ne- this coming summer, the summer of 2019, is the time where we're going to make our move. Um, but other than that, there's really not really much to talk about the Knicks. And if you were to... Uh, uh, bet the over under uh, 29 and a half. You're taking the under, correct? Yeah, you got to. I just can't imagine this team being able to score on a consistent basis to be a mid 30s one team. It It's I mean, and they shouldn't rush Porzingis back. Um, and that that's the uh, that's the bottom line. Uh, looking at the league as a whole, um, who are some of the under radar teams that you're interested in and looking forward to watching this year? Um because as I've mentioned before, there's a lot of there's a little bit of uh, split in terms of how the NBA is covered. You have like your old school guys and you have like your hipsterish uh, super analytics types and they both like different teams. Um, so who are you uh, looking forward to watching this year of teams that aren't really going to get the media coverage, uh, say, of like the Boston Celtics or the Los Angeles Lakers? Yeah, sure. So I guess some of those, you know, maybe fringe playoff teams. I like Denver. I think Denver's got a got an exciting young team. Jokic just got the big extension. I think Millsap will be coming back from injury. They have good young players, Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, you know, they're a year older and they should get good. Um, Michael Porter. I mean, who knows, right. He's coming off serious injuries. They added Isaiah Thomas, you know, another wild card. I just think they're a fun playoff. You know, in my opinion, I think they're a playoff team. They're fun. They're young. They should be able to score. Um, and then I think another one for me is Dallas and, and not because they have a, a great team, but it, it's Luka, Luka Doncic, right? He's exciting. He's playing fantastically currently in the preseason. The roster is not great, but you know, it's a, what is this? Probably the final year for Dirk. I think that will keep things interesting. What do you think? I, um, I like Dallas a little bit more than most people. Um, I mean, Luka Doncic, I think is going to be the, um, you know, I, I think, he can easily win rookie of the year and has been super exciting. I thought he should have gotten number one in the draft. It's funny. You you talk about Denver. So you're high on Denver. Obviously their offensive efficiency last year was incredible, but they're really bad defensively. And people are talking about them as like a four or a five seed. I I don't know. I, I just don't see it. I don't think you can be that good as a team when your center and your best player is that porous defensively. Sure. I mean, I definitely don't think they're a four or five seed. I think they're a seven or eight seed, but Millsap has always been a good defender and hopefully he's coming back healthy. So he should help them out. But yeah, I I guess, um, you know, Joe kick has always been known to not be very much of a defender, but let's see. I'm optimistic. I think they're going to score a lot of points. So I I mean, now that you just mentioned the Western conference, um, because it's going to be, an absolute, you know, bloodbath to get into the playoffs. Um, you know, you have nine or 10 quality teams going for eight spots. So assuming that you have a clear top four, right? You have Golden State, the Rockets, the Jazz, and Oklahoma City, right? We'll, we'll say that those are the top four teams. So now you have this group, the Lakers, the Spurs, the Pelicans, uh, the Nuggets, Portland, and Minnesota vying for four spots. Who do you think um, are going to be those uh, four spots? So it's funny, you know, you mentioned OKC as that lock in, in the top four. You're higher in OKC than I am. And the main reason that is, is because I'm, 
I think the Lakers are going to be fantastic. I think LeBron is going to, you know, elevate those young guys. I loved what I saw in Ingram last week in a preseason game. And I know it's preseason, but he just looked solid. Kuzma, I think, is awesome. Um, Lonzo Ball should be good. And, you know, especially with LeBron and passing and whatnot. So I think the Lakers are a lock for the top four. So um, if you want to, you know, whether it's OKC or whether it's Utah, I think they both obviously get into the playoffs. But I think the Lakers, in my mind, are, are a lock for the top four. I guess the, the, the teams that I like outside of them, as I mentioned, Denver already, um, certainly, certainly New Orleans. I think Anthony Davis, you know, will win 45 to 50 games on his own. He's that good. I actually think he's probably the, you know, the best player on the, in the league right now, you know, going both offense and defense. And then it really comes down to Portland and Minnesota, I guess for me, and in, as the eighth seed. I'll so, give Minnesota the nod kind of based on talent, but Portland, you know, Portland's always pretty good. And Damian Lillard was great last year. And if, you know, I know they had a bad playoffs, but they'll, they'll be tough, but people are saying that Portland's going to be a seller at the deadline. And if that's the case, then I'll give Minnesota the nod. So you're writing off the Spurs. I'm writing off the Spurs. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's always a bad decision to do so because they prove you wrong every single year. I think last year they won 47 games when Kawhi only played nine or 10 games. But I just think there's too much talent in the West that Aldridge and DeRozan just isn't enough with their point guard play. Gotcha. So I'm going to go the other way. And I also honestly think the Lakers are going to be awesome too because I watched that that preseason game and I was super impressed. I know you're not really supposed to take anything from the preseason, but I'll put the Lakers in with that you know grouping of the previous four teams. Um, for me... I think the guys who miss out are. I still think Denver misses out, and I think Minnesota misses out. Um, I just, I just trust what Portland has because they've sort of been there a little bit, and it's really hard to bet against the Spurs when they do it every year. It's like they're kind of like the Patriots in a sense, where it's like, when will be the year that that everything falls apart? And it, you don't want to be the guy who continues to pick. Uh, it to fall apart and then it not fall apart. So, I mean, I just, I just don't think Denver plays good enough defense and, uh, and for having a go-to score that you need sometimes to close games, like Jokic is reluctant to do that. And it's hard in today's NBA to get consistent crunch time scoring from a guy who, who plays the post, you know, the rules are just conducive for guards and, and wing players. So, um, but it's definitely going to be uh, an interesting uh, fit, you know, finish to the season. I know we're projecting way down the line, um, but you know, the Western Conference is going to be super interesting. I mean, a, co- uh, a couple of teams in the East, though, uh, I'm interested in watching Milwaukee uh, to see what Giannis does. Uh, competent coach and Coach Budenholzer, you know, they're going to play an up tempo system. Like, what kind of numbers can we see from him? Um, I'm interested in watching Indiana. Uh, to see, you know, they really overachieved last year. They beat everybody's win total projections. Uh, do they come back down to earth? Do they sustain this? You know, what does Victor Oladipo um, continue to do? I mean, he's looked pretty good in the preseason also. I mean, we touched on New Orleans with Anthony Davis, but I mean, there's a lot of, you know, interesting teams in the league, even though it seems to be like Golden State is the overwhelming favorite to win the whole thing which is a kind of weird spot to be in. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm also excited to watch Philly. This is the year after the year, right? So last year, 
they made the playoffs, you know, great story. Everyone was happy, but in the end of the day, they had a very poor second round. So let's see if they can really build on that. Let's see if Simmons and Embiid can become, you know, even bigger than they were last year and really become all NBA players. And if they can, there's no reason why they can't contend with Boston in the playoffs as good as Boston is. So what are you expecting from, uh, you know, their biggest wild card, Markel Fultz? I'm not expecting much. I mean, the guy hasn't really played much in the NBA. The only reason that people are so high on him is because he was the first overall pick. If he was, you know, a mid-teens pick last year, no one would be talking about him. So, you know, his jumper still looks terribly off. The guy needs to get minutes and get reps. But, you know, this team can't really, uh, you know, can't wait for him for too long because their time is now, right? I mean, yeah, they're they're still very, very young. But you never know how long a guy like Embiid's going to stay healthy. These seven footers just haven't stayed healthy in, in their career. I mean, look at Porzingis as an example. So let, let's see what he does. I mean, I like their roster and, and I think they have a chance, but I'm not high on Paul. So Philly's starting lineup last year was statistically one of the best starting lineups out of, you know, in the entire NBA. And it looks like they're going to put faults in the starting lineup um, and move Redick to the bench. Now, you know, what Fultz is supposed to be able to do is be another ball handler, um, you know, to make things easier on Simmons, somebody who can get his own shot. But he doesn't shoot the ball nearly as well, and it's going to clog, it may clog things up for Embiid. Um, Would you, if you're a Philly fan, or if you were coaching Philly, I should say, would you bring Fultz off the bench as sort of like your sixth man type and have him lead the second unit and let him do you know, what he's projected to do in college? Or would you try and give him the um, the confidence by instilling, um, by installing him in the starting lineup? Yeah, I mean, clearly that's what they're doing, right? They're trying to put him with the starters to say, you belong with the starters. You know, we're not giving up on you. You were the first overall pick last year and it's only one year removed. So I, I see where they're going with it. In the end of the day, come the final five minutes of a game, it's going to be Redick, right? They're going to want that scoring on on the court. He's, you know, he he brings takes so much pressure off Simmons, off Embiid. He comes off screens. He wrecks havoc. So in the end of the day, I think yeah, they'll, they'll let Fultz start, but I expect Redick to be in the game at crunch time. And it's it's weird because for them, you know, to build your confidence, you want the guy to play crunch time, but you know, for all the things he seems to be able to do well in terms of just like getting into the paint they need Reddick spacing. So I, I don't know how they're going to do it. They, they're for sure. Interesting. I, I saw that they're over under totals like 54 and a half. Um, I don't know about you, but if I were to, you know, put a, a, a wager on it, I'd probably take the slight under. Um, I still think they're going to be a 50 win team. Um, I actually think the East is going to have five 50 win teams this year um, be, because the haves in the East have a lot and the have-nots have, like, nothing. So I think they're going to beat up on each other. But I, I would say maybe, like, I wouldn't be surprised if Philly, you know, won 51, 52 games as opposed to 57. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I would also probably go slight under. Having said that, I think they could be great if they get a healthy year from Simmons and, and Embiid. If those guys are playing 75-plus games, there's probably a good chance that they get just around 54. What, what it really comes down to for them, though, is what can they do in the playoffs this year? And can they get out of the second round? And can they be the team that a lot of people are hoping they are that they're going to contend with the Celtics, you know, for the next five, 10 years? So 
to be seen. I'm optimistic. I love the way Simmons and Embiid play. Yeah, so I'm um, just transitioning over to um, you know a couple of over unders. If you know, I'm sure you're interested in in the numbers. Uh, so my, if you had to take your three best over bets uh, for season win totals and your three best under bets, who would they be? Uh, well, I mentioned this one earlier. I love the Lakers over 48. I can't imagine LeBron with these young guys only winning 48 or, or less games. I mean, he, he's going to get. The whole city is going to be rocking. The team is going to be, you know, filled with energy. LeBron's going to be great with these young guys. I expect him to have one of those years where he's nearing a triple double, uh, just getting, you know, close to 10 assists with all these guys just running down the court and him throwing lobs three, four times a game, getting easy ones. So I, I love the Lakers over. I, I, I really do think it's a lock. The, the other two that I was thinking about is, is Boston. Boston probably just has, remind me what's Boston's over-unders in the high fifties, 57 and a half. I'll put up the exact number in a second. Yeah. 57 and a half. Yeah. So, so to win 58 games, I think Boston should have no problem doing it. They won a ton of games last year, which a, with a much, much worse roster, you have Hayward coming back. You have Kyrie, hopefully he'll be healthy this year. Their defense, their bench, their coaching, there's no reason why they can't win 60 games in a pretty poor Eastern Conference and an especially poor, um, you know, Eastern side of, of that bracket. The, the, the I agree with I you. Had, I agree with you because they were one of my um, best over bets. I mean, they get to play the Knicks and the Nets in the same division. Um, so I, I think that's pretty good. I mean, they do play in a division with Philly and Toronto, who I both think are going to be really good teams. You know, those teams are three of the six best teams in the league, but I, I, I would go over 57 yeah. and a half for the Celtics for sure. Yeah, I completely agree. I, what you love about Boston is that they beat up on every bad team. They're, they're, they're so well coached. They just don't lose to under 500 teams. I can't remember what their record was last year, but if you look back, you'll see that they just rarely lose to, you know, the opponents that they should be, that they're favored against. Yeah. And the end, you had one more. The other one is a little unconventional. It's actually Memphis. And I'm not a fan of Memphis's team. I think, you know, Gasol and Conley are great players when healthy, but they rarely are. But I just thought 33 and a half was really low for them. If they're healthy, if those guys are playing well, Chandler, you know, they're getting something out of Chandler Parsons, they're getting something out of their rookie draft pick. They should be to me like a 35 to, to 40 win team. You know, not a team I'm excited about, but I just thought 33 and a half was a little low for them. I agree with you. When Connolly and Gasol are, are, are right, they're, they win in a high clip. And if, if they can be right, they can be a 500 team. I mean, they just, they just haven't been right lately. But if, you know, they, the young rookie Jaron Jackson looks like he's good. If, um, you know, I follow this guy, Chris Vernon, who, you know, works for the Memphis Grizzlies, does the ringer a bit. Um, and he was talking about how Chandler Parsons looks good. Obviously, he's affiliated with the organization. But if Connolly and Gasol are healthy um, and play the whole year there and aren't going to be traded, because uh, that's the other thing, if they want to go the other way, then they can easily be a, a 500 team that's hovering around in, in eighth seed. Um, but it's a lot to ask for two guys at that age. Um, especially with the Western Conference being as top to bottom deep as it is. Uh, but no, I agree with you. I, I, I like that over as well. I mean, my other two besides for the Celtics, and I looked at Memphis, but I think the Rockets over 54 and a half. Um, I mean, they won 60 something games last year. Uh, I don't see them, even with the losses of Ariza 
and uh, Luke Richard Mbamute and the addition of Carmelo and how that's going to look. I don't think they're going to be 10 games worse. Yeah, I think Vegas, for some reason, thinks that the Rockets are going to regress. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with another year of Chris Paul, another year of him getting older, another year coming off an injury. I think that's a big part of it. But when he was healthy and on the court with Harden, they were absolutely amazing last year. I agree. I mean, I I, I, I didn't put it down because I just like the other three I chose a little more. But yeah, I, I agree. Rockets over. And and yeah, I think they're going to regress too, but I can't, I can't see a scenario where they're 10 games worse. And uh, the other one for me was the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, we've got Giannis entering, uh, you know, age 23. He was a monster last year. Now they have a real coach who's going to be playing up-tempo modern basketball. Uh, coach Budenholzer has a track record of success. Uh, I just, I just see Milwaukee, you know, being, you know, cl- really, I think they can be a 51 team this year. And um, over um, 46 and a half, I think, is is a pretty safe bet. And uh, what were your three unders? Well, sadly, I think the Knicks are one of them. I, I mentioned that earlier. Um, the, the other two that I had were Orlando. I just can't understand their roster. I don't know what they're doing with all these bigs. I just don't think they fit together. They don't have a point guard. I like a couple of their guys individually, but I just think that, you know, they don't have much. They, they should be, you know, an, a team in the, with a high lottery pick again. And the third one I had are the Clippers. I just think they have a very strange roster. They don't have much of an identity. They have a lot of, you know, what, what I would call like above average bench players on their team. They, they just, they, they have a handful of good players, the Avery Bradleys of the world and, and the Patrick Beverly's and Tobias, Tobias Harris's, but they just don't have any like real guy. Who's going to be the go-to guy at the end of games. I just see them being pretty bad and they're certainly looking to rebuild. Yeah, I don't know what to make of the Clippers. I mean, they have a lot of guys who would, in theory, be attractive trade assets, um, whether it's at the deadline, whether it's uh, in the offseason, who knows? I mean, I, I, I'm not too high on the Clippers. Um, the Knicks, you know, as we mentioned, I think the under is a pretty safe bet. My three best bets was like you, Orlando. I mean, they if the Knicks have no guards, Orlando for sure has no guards. I mean, their point guard said, I think they're starting like Shelvin Mack. I mean, he's, he's horrendous. (laughs) If you look at Orlando and what they've done the last couple of years, think about the guys that they've had on the roster. They had Tobias Harris, they had Victor Oladipo and they have Aaron Gordon. And now look what they have to show for those, you know, now look what they have. It's a lot worse than that. And they could have just stuck with Oladipo. I mean, that trade was terrible from the start. They got one year of Serge Ibaka. I mean, what was he doing there? Uh, I mean, Orlando's just a mess. I mean, they're easily one of the five worst teams in the league. And then, you know, I think the Brooklyn Nets are are, are crap. I mean, I know they play hard for Kenny Atkinson um, and they play a nice style, but they have, they have no players. I mean, their best player may be uh, Joe Harris. And Joe Harris is a nice player who shot 45% from three, shoots a good percentage from the field, but he's not a difference maker. Uh, so I think they're under 32 and a half is a really safe one. Plus they have their first round pick this year for the first time since the uh, Danny Ainge fleeced them with the Garnett Pierce trade. So they have every incentive to be terrible. Um, and the other one is Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta is the worst team in the league. I mean, they're not even trying to hide the fact that they don't want to be good this year. I mean, they're just, they're just horrible. I mean, it's, it'll be the Trey Young show and he'll learn on the fly and he'll take his lumps 
and it's going to be bad. I mean, they have John Collins, who's a nice player, uh, year two for him, but they have nobody. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I agree with, with both of those. Atlanta and Brooklyn just don't have enough talent. And like you said, the, the East is going to be really top-heavy and, and then you know very bottom-heavy with a couple of these teams probably having you know 60 or so losses. So uh, I'm with you on that. All right. So before we um before we wrap up, um, you know, let's uh, let's do a couple uh, predictions. So uh, who do you have for this year's MVP? So I'd love to say Anthony Davis because I do think he's going to be the best player in the league this year. But in the end of the day, it's so hard to win an MVP if you're not going to be at a minimum a top three seed, which I just don't think the Pelicans have enough on their team to get there. So I'm going to go with Giannis. He was 27, 10, and five up last year. Those are already MVP numbers. Uh, he's arguably the best defender in the league, you know, definitely a top five defender in the league. And if that team can get to, you know, a three or four seed, like I expect them to do, uh, I think it's Giannis's year. It, it seems to be that the voters don't want to pick the same guy year over year. You know, two years ago, it was Westbrook. Then it was Harden. I think this year it's Giannis. I agree with you with Giannis, by the way, he's five to one to win the uh, MVP. Um, I think Giannis also. Uh, I do want to take Davis because I actually think Davis should have been the MVP last year. Um, I'm on record of not being uh, a James Harden guy. Um, I would love to see Davis win it, but I think Giannis is going to win it. Um, Kawhi Leonard, though, is is a nice sneaky uh, dark horse, though, because if he comes back to Kawhi Leonard form, I mean, he finished runner up uh, the year before he got hurt. And uh, if he transforms Toronto into a tougher version of what they were last year, I mean, he could easily, he can win it too. But I think it ultimately would be Giannis, just like you. Uh, Defensive player of the year. You know, if I was going Giannis for MVP, then I'll go Davis for defensive player of the year. Those are the two best guys in the league for me. And they're only getting better. I'll go Davis. I like the the Davis pick. Um, The other guy I would look at is uh, Joel Embiid. I mean, Joel Embiid was a monster defensively last year. Um, and he was on the ballot. So who knows? But there's a lot of good candidates. I mean, again, Kawhi can make that comeback also. He's such a wild card. Uh, rookie of the year. Gotta be Doncic. Gotta be Doncic. Um, DeAndre Ayton has looked really, really good in the, uh, in the preseason. Um, I'm not a D I was never a big DeAndre Ayton fan. Um, but I, I, Doncic is so exciting. I mean, that trade that the Hawks made to move off of Doncic, I, I just don't understand it. I think he should have gone number one to Phoenix, but whatever. Uh, sixth man of the year. Um, I'll go a little outside the box with this one. It's a guy who I really liked to watch playing in college at Wichita State. I'll go Fred Van Fleet on Toronto. He's exciting. He's good. And he should be getting a lot of minutes this year. Oh, you mean you're not going uh, for the $4.5 million a year Ron Baker out of Wichita State? I thought that's where you were going to go with that one. Uh, I'd love to. He's got great hair, but I can't say that he's going to be six man. Looks like Luke Skywalker, but he, he, he's not an NBA player. Um, I'm going to uh, go Terry Rozier. Uh, scary Terry. I, I think, you know, they're going to have to reward the Celtics with something because if they're going to potentially have the best or the second best record in the league. They, you know, it's either going to be Brad Stevens as coach. I, I think they have enough talent where none of those guys are going to get considerable uh, MVP buzz uh, just because it's it spread, th- you know, throughout a boatload of guys who can play. Uh, so I think Terry Rozier can win um, sixth man of the year. I, I don't even know what his odds are, um, but I'm curious 
to uh, yeah. I'm going to go check that out. Uh, who do you have for coach? It's got to be Brad Stevens. Brad he Stevens. Sorry, we're in agreement. I, I, I had to look back because I, I said to myself, he must have won it. But then I saw he, he hasn't won it yet. So it's, it's his year. They're a team that is going to win 60, probably 62, 63 plus games. They're going to be first in the Eastern Conference. They're going to have a great year. He's going to be, you know, showing the world everything from his inbound plays to, you know, to managing the a roster of 10 good players and he's going to get everyone involved. I, I would go Brad Stevens. We're in agreement. Um, the other guy is Quinn Snyder. Um, ironically, those two guys were on the ballot last year and lost to, um, uh, what's his name? Dwayne Casey, who then got fired by the Raptors, uh, which I actually think is, is pretty funny if you look back on it. Um, but yeah, no, I'm in agreement with you. I think Brad Stevens yeah. is now the best coach in the league. Um, I think he's taken the mantle from pop and, Popovich and it's time for him to win it. Um, yeah. and we both I think, uh, by the way, George Carl got fired after winning him, uh, coach of the year, I believe with, the, with that nuggets team. That was like with a random three seed. Yeah. It was a couple, it was, it was the year that Iguodala was there before golden state really made their push. Um, yeah, that was a weird year. By the way, I wouldn't sleep on Luke Walton. If the Lakers can really improve to a 55-56 win team, I know LeBron will get a lot of the credit, but I wouldn't sleep on Luke Walton. Not not a bad um not a bad sleeper pick. And we're both in agreement that the Warriors are going to uh uh three peat, correct? Yeah, there's no reason why they shouldn't. They're obviously the best team. If Curry and Durant stay healthy, they they're completely unbeatable. Having said that, Boston will put up a much, much better competition than the Cavs had the last few years. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are in terms of uh, DeMarcus Cousins and what he's going to ultimately give them uh, and how that's going to look when he gets back. It's really hard to say. I mean, they have so, you know, there's only one ball. And I mean, what's great about him is that he hits the three. He's a good passer. He's not just some big guy who's going to clog the lane. So he, he's obviously going to help them. I don't you know, really, I don't think he's going to be a differentiating factor. They're already the best team in the league. Yes, of course, they added a top 10 player in the league. But, you know, they, they get up and down the court. We'll see what he does for them. I'm skeptical. I think they're probably going to bring him back really late into the year and probably not even have full-time minutes come playoffs. He's, um, I mean, it's not easy for big guys to come back from uh, Achilles injuries. It's not easy for anybody to come back from Achilles injuries, but... You know, he's not a guy who relies a tremendous amount about on explosive athleticism. Like he's so super skilled and he has every incentive to sort of fall in line because he's he wants to get, you know, a big contract at the end. And he doesn't want to be a malcontent. So, I mean, I, I would have picked the Warriors to win beforehand. Um, I mean, I actually would have leaned a little bit more towards Boston. I kind of like Boston at nine to two. Uh, but I, I think that he gives them like a change of pace almost where if he plays 25, 30 minutes um, a game and, and they stagger it amongst uh, amongst the stars that they have, like he can really, you know, make a difference because he's an excellent, excellent player, but I don't think they're going to rush him back. And um, ultimately it's, you know, their championship to, to lose, but it's really hard to three Pete. I mean, the Lakers did it, you know, 2000 to 2002. It's been a while since then. So, I mean, but, you know, they, they have to be the overwhelming favorite. So before I let you go, um, if you had one bold prediction or a hot take uh, that, that you, you've been like squatting on this one, um, what would it be? 
for this upcoming year? Something off the beaten path. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's tough because in the NBA, if you really look back at the last couple of years, it's super predictable. Every year, it's the same four or five teams in the finals, and and it's usually pretty predictable. I think, um, I think it's uh, Milwaukee. I, I really do think so. I think Milwaukee is going to be. You mentioned it earlier. I think they're going to be great, and I actually think that they're going to be the team that rises in the East outside of Boston. I know people are talking Philly and Toronto, but for me, it's Milwaukee. I think. I think this is the year where Giannis goes from a great player to, you know, a, a perennial top three, four guy in the league. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we both like him for MVP. I, I like that pick. Mine is going to be, and I know people aren't even going to think because they, they know my feelings about this team and this guy, but I think Oklahoma City ends up being the second best team in the West. I don't know what that's going to translate to come playoff time, but I think they're going to have the the second best record in the West. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I've never been a Westbrook guy. I think he's the most exciting guy in the league to watch. I just never thought he made his teammates that much better. And I, you know, always found them to be a mediocre player in the final few minutes of the game and, you know, taking a lot of bad shots and not getting guys involved. So I'm not going to agree with you on that. I think OKC is more like a five, six seed where they've been the last few years. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what Paul George is, is going to do and if he's going to take more of a role on that team. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be a great season because it's always awesome because the NBA is the best. Uh, anyway, Ben, thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're going to hopefully, you know, speak, you know, hoops a lot um, over the coming year. Uh, and uh, I'll see you Wednesday. Sounds good. See you then. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye. All right. Uh, thanks again to my friend Ben Siegel, first time guest, uh, longtime loyal listener. Uh, always great to talk hoops with him. Uh, and that's this episode, episode 34 of For the Love of the Game podcast, NBA preview. Take us out, Joey Kraft. Joey, bring them semis out. Force you and y'all's ball, little henny out. So much rappers acting in the game, I had to tell them put the mic away and run and go and get your Emmys Lean back, mom. This here's a three-peat. We back at the rocker. It's kick your crack. Reach it to your brother. The mic more rap. Beats your mom. I said my dudes don't dance. We just pull up a pants and do the rock away. Yeah. Lean back. Lean back. Lean back. Lean back. Come on. I said my dudes don't dance. We just pull up a pants and do the rock away. Yeah. Now lean back. Lean back. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.